You are listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we are working to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear good news and as we scatter to share it. Uh, Hey, let me pray for us real quick, and then we'll, we'll dive into this passage this morning. Father God, we thank you for your word, and Lord, we ask that as we draw near to you through your word this morning, um, that this word that you have given to us, and that your Holy Spirit working through it um, and in us would be shaping us and molding us, and be ever drawing our gaze and attention closer to Christ, who he is for us, what it is that he has done for us, and um, who it is that he still promises to be for us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So we're now in a new year, 2022. And there's a question that I have for you. It's a simple question, I think. Where will you find Jesus this year? And now that I'm on a roll of asking questions, I'll ask you another one. How will you know that God's favor is on you this year? How will you know that God's favor is on you? Where will you find His favor? Said another way, where will you find Jesus this year? Well, where do we find Him in our story today? Today, we find Jesus under the law of God. That might sound a little bit strange. And I know that every year, uh, people say you get a clean slate, which means that your minds are totally erased. So let's go back, because I need it too. When we're talking about the law, what are we talking about? Well, the law says, do this, and it's never done. Work as we may, it's never done. It's like trying to balance plates. You've seen guys balance plates on sticks, and there's just one more stick and one more plate than you know how to deal with. Whereas, what's... The other side of this, the gospel, the good news. The gospel says all of this has been done for you on account of Christ. Everything that God requires in his law is freely given to you in Jesus. The law places demands on you. The gospel, the good news, is that Jesus has done everything required of you in the gospel, and given you his righteousness. So how is Jesus under the law here? Well, last week we saw Jesus being presented and dedicated at the temple. Though we skipped it for now, we also previously saw in Luke's gospel Jesus being circumcised. And both of these things were required of Jewish boys. And now, there's a third step in this maturation process, in this initiation process. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went went up according to the custom. In these two verses, we read that Mary and Joseph were devout. It's a good thing. They were pious. They practiced their Judaism, their faith, with seriousness, with a true fear of the Lord. Maybe they came from good, devout families. But they also know who their son is, right? 
They, like all parents, have been given a very serious responsibility. They are to raise their child. They are to raise a child who knows who God is, who understands the faith, and they're also given the responsibility that all parents have to shape someone who actually contributes to their community and to their family. On top of that normal responsibility, so yes, that's normal. They have been gifted a child who is God's promised. Savior. So they have extra serious responsibilities towards the son, and there's probably a lot of mystery involved in that. Questions that lots of people have tried to answer, and they shouldn't try to answer. That is to say,、uh, do they need to be helicopter parents, as some people say, constantly making sure that the Savior of the world doesn't die before he gets of age to save everyone? Right. Jesus, don't play on that cliff. Jesus, don't do that. Or is he invincible? Is he already catechized? Does he already have all the knowledge of the faith built into him? Or do we need to start from scratch? In that case, Mary and Joseph probably need to brush up just a little bit. These are answers that these are questions that we don't have answers to. We don't need to have answers to. All of that to say is that they brought Jesus back to the temple for his coming of age presentation. At twelve, he is to be treated like a man. Now, unfortunately, our world takes that idea of being treated as a man or as a woman that's come of age,、um, and it sometimes sounds like a demand, right? A demand for respect, a demand for honor, but. This is、uh, something very different here when we're talking about the responsibility of、uh, or being treated like a man.、Uh, we don't mean that Jesus is demanding his rights as a grown male human. No,、um, this is when all the responsibilities of manhood begin to be placed on Jesus, and it starts this Passover season in the temple. When Jesus has been catechized or taught the faith in his first twelve years of life, and the rabbis and everyone who's in charge in the temple, his parents included, his family included, are all saying to him, "You are now responsible for your life under God's law." In a worldly way, he now has the responsibility also to earn respect. As a member of the family and his community, but spiritually, this means that Jesus、um, is now fully accountable to the law of God.、Uh, it means that he has probably memorized the first five books of the Bible of the Old Testament or large portions of them, and he now is expect he's now expected to be able to produce information from those books of the Bible. That being said, he understands what God demands of him. Jesus knows the law, and he is responsible now to all of it. And so, Jesus is fully under the law. Though this is not the only mention of the law in this text, what other、uh, hints of law do we have being placed on Jesus here? Parents, 
right? Parents are law, like it or not. Mary has a large responsibility in teaching her son, who also happens to be God, the Word of God Himself. She has the responsibility to teach His own Word back to Him. (laughs) To be consistently placing Jesus back under His own Word of law so that He would be ready for this year when He is 12 and is tested and is given the responsibility of growing into manhood. Joseph also had the responsibility of teaching his son while adding in his role as head or priest of the household. It was his responsibility to represent God as Father, which is a tall order when you have a son who actually knows God as his Father in an intimate way. Yet, it was God's given calling to Joseph uh, to act either in judgment or with mercy within his family and with his son. And so, parents, whether we like it or not, you are the law. (laughs) You are the ones that the the commandment is speaking of when it says, honor your father and your mother. And notice in these two verses that we just reread that they did this every year. Did what every year? They went up to Jerusalem for Passover. What do we call that? We call that law. In the passage, it's called custom. It was required of them to do this, and they did this. So is there any good news in this passage? Is there anything that gets us closer to answering the questions that we have, and that is, where do we find Jesus and how do we know that the favor of God is upon us this year? Let me go back to our passage here for just a moment. I want to make sure that we're picking up all the pieces of the story, and then we're going to dig in to see what it means for Jesus to be under the law for us. And when the feast ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. What's happening here? Are Mary and Joseph negating their responsibilities as parents? No, Jesus is now supposed to be taking some responsibility for himself. It is not his mother's job to be constantly over his shoulder saying, Jesus over here, Jesus over there. He's free. He's free to be with his friends and relatives that are traveling to and from Jerusalem. And he has some uh, amount of responsibility for himself here in the moment. And so, no, this would not have been strange, right? This would not have been strange for him to be off with Uh, new friends that he had met while in Jerusalem or with family members, whatever the case may be. And so they didn't really think much of it. But then, as time passed, they started searching for him, and so they returned to Jerusalem. And then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers. Now these teachers of the laws, right? These teachers of the law. We we know these guys as, as priests, as Pharisees, law people. sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Now, this would have been a good thing for the 12-year-old boy to do, seeing as how he's just been inducted into manhood. He's now under the law. He needs to 
um, understand the law with greater depth. However, I have a feeling that if we were in the middle of this conversation, it would be like any group of people that think they know something about God's Word. I love us all, right? Okay, but here's the deal. We would probably all have disagreements. Well, you know, I'm not really sure you can take that passage that far. Uh, I think that it should go further than that. You're going to have teachers that are disagreeing, teaching in a good way. Teachers that are pushing back on one another, growing, learning, so on and so forth. Which is so interesting then, because as a 12-year-old boy who's been taught by his mother and father, Jesus is not expected to answer or give responses to any questions. Right? And yet, this is what's going to happen. The best thing that you're going to get out of the teacher of the law is a response. You're not going to get an answer. Here's the difference. A response is not someone's opinion, but someone's well-informed idea, their best thinking about a text of Scripture. And Jesus, on the other hand, is going to give something more than that. He's going to give an answer. All who heard Him were amazed at His understanding, that is, that He was able to ask such good questions, and His answers. Jesus is already sitting among the teachers of the law, acting as though He were a teacher Himself. Acting as though He were a rabbi. Someone that has the responsibility of shepherding God's people. Let's just say He took up that mantle as a 12-year-old rather quickly, right? (laughs) And when His parents saw Him, they were astonished. This is not a good astonished, okay? This is a bad astonished. (laughs) That's why Mary is the one to speak. And that is why Mary does not say I. And then the Father comes comes in with a merciful comment. No, this is why Mary uses the word we and us. Right? Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your Father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And He said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? And of course they didn't understand this. The saying that He spoke to them. And He went down with them and came to Nazareth. So He went home with them and was submissive to them. We know this word, um, someone that is standing behind, supporting, strengthening, um, and also understanding that you have a leader. He understands that he's not out of his mother and father's house yet. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So he grew both in his mind, in his heart, in his body. And then he also grew in favor with God and man. This favor with God, we saw this back at the beginning. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him. As we look at this passage, one of the things that I harped on last week is the fact that God is not defined by His own law. God defines the law for us to to get a glimpse of who He is, what He values, and then what He demands of us. So then, how significant is it that Jesus places Himself fully under God's law? It's very significant. It's very significant. Why? 
Well, let me read what Paul has to say from Galatians chapter 4. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Jesus willingly placed Himself fully under the law of God because He needed to place Himself under the law of God for you. He could not um, redeem us who are under God's law without first placing Himself under it. He did this so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You are an inheritor of all of God's good gifts through Jesus Christ. Because He was put under the law for you to redeem you who were under the law. So where are we going to find favor with God? How are we going to know that His favor is upon us? Here's the interesting thing about what's going on in Jesus' early life. Step by step, we're consistently seeing that He is doing everything necessary to gain all of God's favor on our behalf. That is for us. When it says that He's growing in God's favor, <laughs> um, when we will see next week at Jesus' baptism, that God the Holy Spirit descends upon Him and God cries out and says, this is My Son in whom I am well pleased. More fully and more visibly and more audibly than ever, God is saying, all of My favor is upon this person. This is kind of what Solomon was saying in 1 Kings that his father had all of God's steadfast love placed upon him. But where are we going to find Jesus? Well, here's the interesting thing. What does Jesus say? Did you not know that I would be in my father's house? What is that supposed to mean? Your father's standing right here beside me, Jesus. <laughs> what do you mean, in your father's house? Jesus belongs in one place. He belongs in His Father's house, at the Father's right hand. And this is where He was at when He was uh, sitting with the other rabbis and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He's there fully under God's authority and in God's authority speaking and giving answers to anyone that would have questions about God's Word. In many ways, he's always more presently at God's right hand 
than we could ever imagine. Which is why on the cross it's so devastating to to see a veil of darkness pulled between the Father and the Son. And for Jesus to not fully understand what it feels like even for there to be a, a blink in between His presence with the Father. So where is Jesus? Where are we going to find Him uh, today? Interestingly, Luke uses similar language to this later in his Gospel. When uh, at the tomb, an angel of the Lord says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Jesus says, did you not know that I would be in my Father's house? I'm the one place that I should be. How did you not know that? How did you not know that I would be living? Why would you look for me among the dead? And so where is Jesus for you right now? Well, Paul says it this way in Romans 8. Who is to condemn? It's a whole argument, but uh, how can we be condemned? Jesus Christ is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who is stepping in for us and speaking for us to God the Father. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, He is able to save us to the uttermost, all the way, those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. What is Jesus currently at the right hand of the Father to do? To intercede for you. So that in your sin, He can say, ah, but remember, my blood is on that one. Or as John writes, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. That is someone that is speaking on your behalf at all times. That is Jesus Christ, the righteous. Or earlier on in Romans, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And here's our big idea for today. Jesus is found at the right hand of the Father, speaking for you and giving you the favor that we could never earn. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, speaking for you on your behalf and giving you the favor that you could never earn. It's an interesting passage to think about a 12-year-old Jesus, right? How in the world is this 12-year-old that's just becoming a man going to do anything for us? And yet, even in this early glimpse at his life, he's there in his father's house, undoubtedly preaching the good news to those who have only law. You notice, too, that he was missing for three days. What does that do to the nerves of a mother and of a father? I don't know. What we do know, though, is that this is a good time of preparation for Mary. Right? She's going to be missing her son for three more days later on when he's in the tomb after being crucified for your sin and for mine. 
So Jesus, again, as Paul says, who is the very wisdom of God, wisely (laughs) separates from his parents for three days to help them to understand what his role is. Yes, it's to be a good and submissive son who honors his father and mother. And yet it's also to be the one that sits at the father's right hand advocating for you. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.